Hi everyone, this is Christopher, and you're listening to Finding Japan, episode 52. Yes, this is episode 52, if you can believe it. Today is Sunday. I don't even know the date anymore. It doesn't even matter. So let me see here. Ah, it's the 27th. Sunday, the 27th. It's, like, it's a beautiful day out here in Tokyo today. It's pretty amazing. I just、uh, got back from the convenience store and、uh, I got、um, just some things to drink and some breakfast and stuff. And、uh, I was commenting to myself about how beautiful of a day it is,、um, especially since it's been quite cold here lately. Um, I've, it's been so cold, actually. I've had to bust out a, a winter coat, which、um, is something I wasn't quite sure I would end up having to do while here in Japan, actually. So,、um, what's going on? Well,、uh, the biggest news is that there is only one more day left to school right now, which means. I'm sh- sure I'll get in trouble for that or something. I don't know. I, j- I just couldn't resist.、Uh, hopefully, Alice Cooper's、uh, attorneys don't come after me. If so, we'll replace that audio. But yeah, school's out. Well, almost, actually. It'll be out.、Um, let's see. It'll be out in, on Monday. So that's what, the 28th.、Uh, it- it's almost hard to believe. That、uh, I've been there at Waseda studying Japanese for two semesters. Really, it's only been,、mm, I don't know what, 10 months because we started、uh, beginning of April. But,、uh, and we went all the way through the end of January. So it's、um, kind of nice. Kinda, I'm, I'm looking forward to just going to work and relaxing on the weekends. So.、Hmm. You know, I, I should take voice lessons again. I feel like I'm out of breath when I start talking and doing these podcasts. Actually, I think, you know, I took voice, some voice instruction from a friend a while ago, actually. And、uh, a lot of it has to do with your posture. So I think I just need to sit up a little more straight. Okay. Anyway,、uh, how are you all doing? What's going on?、Um, there's a couple things I wanted to talk about this episode here.、Um, one of the things that has、uh, struck me is that、uh, I haven't done an、uh, episode to my, or what, a letter to my future self in a while. I think, who is it? I think it was either San or a, a friend of mine, Don, who was commenting about that. I don't remember who, but. Uh, we do have one that we have to answer. Actually, I'm a, I'm a little late on it. So we'll get to that. And also, I want to tell a story about an overcoat. More on that soon. So let's go. Okay, I'm doing it again. Let's go.
receiving. June 24, 2007. This guy, oh my god. Let's see. Future self. Future yeah. Christopher, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Because I haven't aged yet. Okay. Let's let's ask this question. Six month future self from today. Son asks, What do you think America can learn from Japan? And what thing would you like to see in your own country that Japan has? Uh, well, I'm not going to answer that in Japanese because as I thought about that question, complete. Oh, okay, thanks. As I thought about that question this week, um, I actually found that I had a really great example, and, I, and I'm going to turn that question around um, slightly as well. Uh, the question was, um, if you couldn't hear through the uh, the static, you, you know, when you send something, you know, that far in advance through the uh the internet it gets kind of screwy so uh i couldn't freshen up the audio when i received that uh from my past self but uh i did my best so hopefully you were able to hear it but if you couldn't uh the question was um what do you think that um japan could learn or i'm sorry my country uh the united states could learn from japan and i i want to um, also ask the question, what do I think Japan could learn from the United States? Um, when I came back from the United States, I talked about um, the service industry and the differences that I had seen in the service industry. Well, I had an experience uh, earlier this week where I had to go to the bank and get a bank statement. Now, I don't, I, I get bank statements sent to my home here, but I needed to show the Japanese government that I have enough money in my Japanese bank account in order to live here uh, for six months as I'm changing my visa in order to do so. Now, one of the um, things that you have to do is uh, go to the bank and actually request this piece of paper. Now, it's an official document, apparently, uh, that I need to get because my latest statement doesn't have the money that I had transferred into uh, my account in order to... Uh, I got to take these headphones out. It's distracting me. Okay. My um, my uh, account doesn't have enough... Not that it doesn't have enough money, but um, I needed to... Hold on. I am... You know, I should really get my act in order. I have these in-ears in, and I'm going to take them out. Hold on one second. Just because it was so distracting, I was hearing my own voice in real time with like a... Half a second delay. Okay, hold on. Almost done here. Sorry, guys. You never call this a professional podcast, huh? Okay. Um, so I had, I, I didn't want to just print something off off the internet, and I figured I could just go to the bank and they would be able to give me something that says how much I have in my account. But no, it's this entire process that you have to go through. So I had to end up speaking to a customer service representative, and I had to request something through the telephone, and they're going to send it to Ginza, and then I have to go pick it up. Anyway, it's a big, big ordeal in order to get this worked out. And um, I was getting a little frustrated, but when I took a step back from the situation and I looked at it, I said, you know, even in this entire transaction, as frustrating as it was, the service was great. It was entirely great. Um, they were everybody was super polite on the phone. 
Um, I told them that I needed this as soon as possible, and they were also very accommodating. They told me it would take a week, which nothing really should take a week in order to get a piece of paper that says how much money you have. Um, but even though it was going to take a, a week, uh, I managed to get them down to about, I think, four days, and that's including the weekend, so really two business days. So, you know, it wasn't that bad of a, a deal in order to get all that worked out. So the, the customer service was, was excellent, and um, I think that uh, the United States could really learn something from Japan about customer service. A lot of people also say that customer service in Japan is not really good customer service because the people act that way because they think that's the way they have to act. It's not genuine. I want to sort of turn that around on its head and say, well, genuine or not, it's all about the customer's experience. If you go into a convenience store and someone is very nice to you, you get a good feeling inside. Uh, you feel like that person cares about you. Whether or not they really do, and I'm sure that they don't, um, it's nice to feel that way. And it also makes things smoother. It makes those transactions smoother. If you're having a bad day, um, it's not aggravated or exacerbated in any way by somebody else's attitude. I had called a um, a service in the United States. Um, we're putting a bunch of stuff in storage, Linda and I, and I had called to pay our first bill. And the woman picked up the phone. She's like, so-and-so storage. And I said, hi, yes, um, I'm calling in order to make my first bill payment. And uh, I had a few questions, and she said, okay, and you are? And I was so taken aback that the rest of my conversation with her just was uh, entirely frustrating. Now, if she had just said, okay, um, what can I do for you? Can I have your name? Or something as simple as that. It didn't even have to be the super polite service we get here in Japan. Um, it would have made me feel that much better. And... Um, I think uh, a lot of day-to-day -day things would go by much easier in the United States if if they take that sort of approach to customer service. Um, so that's what I think uh, the United States can learn from Japan after being here. Um, I, I know it's n not a real profound observation, but I think it's a poignant one because it's something you experience on a day-to-day -day basis while here in Japan, and um, I think you kind of take it for granted. Uh, without noticing it. And certainly the trip back to my country had helped me understand that. And my latest experience at the bank also reinforced that fact. But um, I want to ask the question in the opposite way, too. What do I think that Japan can learn from the United States? I, I think a sense of practicality in business processes. Now, I'm going to start getting into my uh, area of of work a little bit here. But Really, I'll take this bank example again. It, it should not take four days to get a piece of paper uh, that says how much money you have in your bank account. And I, I, I'm not going to blame the bank entirely because um, a lot of these official uh, processes that you have to go through, whether it be getting a, a particular type of identification card or buying a house, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of things that you need, and there's a lot of officiating and a lot of double-checking and stamping and things like that that um, really, I think, is, is unnecessary. I think there's better ways to approach some of these um, 
it's the authenticating people and giving them credentials and getting those credentials validated. Um, I told the woman that I was, or the woman that was helping me at the bank, I said to her, um, look, I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, making such a request. Um, I'm used to being able to go to the bank and just ask them for a statement and they can print one out right there and hand it to me. Um, I'm not used to the fact that someone's going to have to send it away. It's going to have to get officiated at the bank. Um, and then they have to send it back. That's just their process. Part of me thinks that it's maybe it's because, uh, they need people to be employed. (laughs) It's one of those things where you see, you know, five cops, uh, directing traffic, uh, when cones would do just fine, especially because people are, are just painting a bridge. Um, Things like that. I, I just think there's a lot of unnecessary work that's being done. I, mean, I guess it's nice to keep people employed, but come on, when it takes five days to get a an official document, not even an official document, just a document saying how much I have, um, it's kind of ridiculous. Now, part of it, too, is you know the fact that it. I think it needs, I'm not even really quite sure, but I think it needs to be an official document. That's probably part of the problem, too. I mean, a bank statement would do just as well, I think, for most circumstances, but I guess, I don't know, maybe for the visa stuff, they want to be more careful. I think in my, I think in this case, they might be being a little too careful, but that's something I think Japan uh, can learn from the United States. So, San, that's the answer to your question. Uh, from my perspective, after being here for nine months, and um, I think we'll have to come up with another future self-question sometime soon. I think the next one actually won't be answered. Hmm. I think it was one year future self, but I'll have to check exactly when I need to answer it. I think it's sometime in June, June, I want to say, I'm not quite sure, but we will certainly talk about that when we get to that point. But there you go. There's the answer to the question for the, uh, letters to my future self. Okay, um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is, I don't know, it's a little personal, but I think it's a fun story. Before I, I talk about the story, though, I want to talk about why I'm, I'm doing it this way. Um, I've been thinking about just podcasting in general, and I'm not going to talk too much meta talk about this podcast, but I've been really inspired by some podcasters who I think are uh, becoming incredible storytellers. There's this gentleman named Dan Carlin, and he has uh, two podcasts, actually, that I listen to. I think he may even have more. Um, he has one called Common Sense. It's called Common Sense with Dan Carlin. I think you can find his shows at www.dancarlin.com. His last name is spelled C-A-R-L-I-N. And um, he really puts a lot of time into putting together podcasts, and they're very enjoyable. And the one thing... I really like about his style is he tells stories. He doesn't just, um, I don't know, he doesn't just say what he thinks. 
he actually pulls it all together in a really coherent way. And it's just, uh, it's just such a treat to be able to listen to that. Um, Dan Carlin also has another show called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. And um, he's got 18 different shows covering everything from uh, the ancient Macedonians or Macedonians, however you want to say it, um, thoughts on Nazism, uh, thoughts on Winston, Winston Churchill's, uh, scars of the First World War, the what he calls the X-History Files, and um, just a, a ton of great material. And um, it's always nice to listen to that, maybe on a nice lazy Sunday when you have nothing to do and you want some enjoyable media to uh, satiate your mind. It's a, it's a great way to go. So if you're into history or I will say like an interesting take on politics, um, check out those two podcasts. But separate from the actual content of those podcasts, I really liked his style. Um, there's another podcast too that's quite uh, motivational for me. It's called uh, WNYC's Radio Lab. And I think this might be related to NPR. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. Um, but they also do a great job. I think it's a bi-weekly podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And they do um, a great deal of collecting all sorts of information and bringing it together and making it an audio experience. So I thought I may sort of take a cue from some of these two podcasts and try to tell uh, a coming-of-age story, I think. And I wanted to tell it in a way that um, I think is related to Japan, but also more in a way that's sort of related to how my mind works and how I've been thinking about things. And so if you'll humor me for a few minutes, I'll, I'll tell you the story uh, about the overcoat. Um, when, I, when I was younger, I always associated overcoats with getting older. A lot of the people that I ended up respecting wore overcoats. The overcoat was just such a symbol of being an adult. Um, in a lot of ways, it's not like a regular coat. Obviously, they're mostly longer. Um, there's a lot of you know, famous overcoats that you see. I know when you used to watch those old history films and the uh, 1920s dress all the way up through maybe like the 50s, you used to see a lot of the politicians and businessmen wear the, the overcoat. Um, also, there's the, the movie references, obviously. Um, the one that comes to mind immediately is Dick Tracy, the hardened detective walking through the streets at night in the overcoat. And the overcoat, in, in that sense, kind of protects uh, the person from the elements. And I think there's probably more of a metaphorical aspect to that, in that it sort of protects people from the dangers of the city or the hard life of, of being an adult and being inundated with just reality. I think when you're younger, it's much easier to ignore the world around you, focus on yourself, and get distracted with things like, I don't know, when I was a kid it was Legos and video games. Um, and then for a while it was music. And I think it's real easy to get sort of locked into those hobbies or those those things and not really uh, take in the world around you. 
I, you know, that's a broad generalization, but just let's just go with it for a second. So, you know, it was only recently that I finally bought an overcoat. And it was funny in that I, I actually received money. Now, I know my mom listens to the podcast as well. Um, but I actually received money for an overcoat one year, and I never used it to buy an overcoat. I ended up using it to buy uh, another suit that I needed at the time. Uh, but I never actually bought the overcoat until just recently. And, um, you know, now being here in Japan and working, as it started getting colder, I was wearing um, my suits, which are, are winter suits, really. They're, they're thicker wool suits, really made for people who work more in colder climates, I would think, especially like the northeast U.S., which is where I'm from. And um, these suits were unbearable during the summer. Oh, they were, they were terribly hot and sticky and just annoying. But in the winter, they got really nice because they were very warm. Uh, some of these colder days in Japan here, I've been wearing the suit uh, with a hat and sometimes just a really thick scarf that I got for Christmas. And, uh, you know, it, it was getting to the point before I'd uh, come back from the States where, you know, Japan was starting to get really, really cold. So I figured, oh, I should get an overcoat. So I finally bought an overcoat. And the, the purchase experience was a little, um, I don't know, frustrating. I, I'm the kind of person where I just like to go in, I know what I want, and just and just get it and leave. Um, when I went into this store, they didn't have, they, I mean, they had tons of, I, I think it was like, it was a Burlington Coat Factory or something, which is like a huge kind of outlet store in the, uh, the Northeast. And... I'm, I'm looking at the coat now as I'm, I'm as I'm talking about this. I'm kind of like wrenching my neck over to see it. But um, I was looking for one of those, um, what are they called? Sort of like a, a fleece coat. Not like petty, the stuff that like petticoats are made out of, but you know, the uh, men's one. And um, I couldn't find one that I really liked. So I ended up getting an overcoat that um, can actually kind of keep off some of the rain as well, which I figured would be better here in Japan since it's not quite as cold uh, to need something re- really, really thick in terms of a coat. Uh, and also it rains quite a bit. So, so a coat like this would probably be a better bet than something that looks like it would absorb water instead of repelling the water. So I bought the coat and um, I brought it back uh, to the States here. And I wore it once in the States because I had to go into work. Um, but here in the, uh, or brought it back here to Japan, I mean, um, I hadn't worn it. I was still wearing just the suit and going to work that way. Well, there was one day it was just extremely cold, and I couldn't keep doing that. So I finally put the overcoat on. And I was walking down the street, and I came up to a street corner that had one of those mirrors that is set up so that people can see the oncoming traffic. And I stopped, and I looked at myself. I said, whoa, there's a man in an overcoat. And I, I realized at that moment that I was now wearing the overcoat. I was now one of the people that I always thought would, I, I, that, that I thought would be wearing the overcoat, the politician, the businessman. And it was sort of a transformative kind of feeling. And what was interesting is it, at first it, I was 
I was kind of unnerved about it, so I just kept going. But I, I couldn't escape it. I couldn't escape the overcoat. I had to wear it because it was cold. And I had to wear something nice because I was going to work. But as I kept walking down the street, I would see more overcoats. People looking just like me. Obviously, they're not looking um, sauce-faced as I am. I, I learned that the other day. If you're sauce-faced, it means that you're... Your face has lots of distinct features, you know, like big eyes and big nose. And if you're a soy sauce face, it means that, you know, you look plain, like a, just like an Asian person. But there's a saying that says the soy sauce faces get uh, more beautiful over time. And that the, um, the sauce faces look really interesting at first, but then they're kind of boring. So one of my classmates had brought that up. The other day in class, and I didn't understand. I knew what she was saying. It was like sauce cow and uh, shoyu cow, but uh, we never. I never knew what that actually meant. So uh, there's a little little Japanese culture tidbit for you there. But anyway, back to the uh, the overcoat. Um, hmm, where did I leave off? Yeah, so I was walking down the street and I kept seeing more overcoats, and I realized that I. Wearing this overcoat was a part of me fitting in with becoming an adult. And I had been avoiding wearing the overcoat because I had, in my mind, been avoiding becoming an adult. For a long time, I had played music in bands, even while I was working full-time, mostly because I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to have the big house, the white picket fence, the three kids and the dog, and the minivan. That stuff is just, I never saw myself going down the traditional route of having that type of life. I always saw myself as having a, a different life, an alternative life, something that not a lot of people do. Because I find interest in a variety. I don't, I'm not really interested in being like everybody else. I think that's part of the reason why I came to Japan too. I wanted to live in a foreign country for at least a year to say I've had the experience of living in a foreign country in a, and experiencing another culture. If you read the About Finding Japan page, you'll see that's the primary reason why I'm here. And that day, I realized that I'm letting some of that go. And that's okay, because I think you can be idealistic to a point, but then eventually you know, it becomes, it's almost like the way you're supposed to be becomes desired because not that it's easier, but because you realize you can enjoy life better that way. If you're constantly moving around, if you're constantly doing something new, it can be quite difficult. And part of having a balance to life, I think, is having your independence and that part of you that's not like everybody else. And then the other half is having a part of you that is like everybody else. So there is a comfort level there. And that's something that I think I'm still learning. But the overcoat was a big part of that. And later on that day when I was returning back home, it was extremely cold and windy down in uh, Ariake. And as I left the building, uh, the overcoat was actually kind of nice. I love the overcoat. It's so warm. And even though 
I look like a big walking rectangle when I look at my shadow. A rectangle with a big ball on top of it. Um, I'm really happy that I started wearing the overcoat. Um, because it is sort of protecting me from the city. The uh, crazy city of Tokyo. No, it's not crazy at all. It's, it's, a, it's a great city. It's very safe. But um, now I, I sort of use the overcoat as like a security blanket. You can hide in the overcoat if you want to. So... I don't know. There you go. That's just a little bit about the overcoat. I hope you enjoyed just the random rant about the overcoat. I know it kind of really doesn't make much sense in the context of finding Japan, but, you know, I always sort of expected that I would at some point find more to talk about myself than specific things about Japan. Uh, I think when you throw yourself into an experience like living in a foreign country, you end up learning just as much about yourself as you do about the country that you're living in. Because you see how you change and how you adapt. And also, I think, how you don't adapt. Um, And it just sort of gives some more insight into you as a person. Or Actually, I'm not going to say it gives any insight into you. For me, it gives me more insight into me as a person. And uh, that's something that I appreciate. Even though uh, it took this strange little weird thing with the overcoat uh, to get to that point. So there you go. That's the, uh, the overcoat story. There's only one other thing I want to talk about here before I uh, clean up, clean house here and uh, let let you all go. I don't want these episodes to get any longer than, uh, I don't know, maybe like 40 minutes. So um, There's been some interesting talk going on about these uh, Japan Podcaster Awards. And I was even going to jump in on the comments, um, but I decided that I would refrain from doing that. And instead, I wanted to point the listeners to the comments, um, if you're interested in what's going on, um, on the blog uh, for the episode where I had talked about the Japan Podcasters Awards. I think it's actually, if you actually, if you go to the site and just look on the comments section, you'll see. And um, the only thing I want to say is that um, I've been approving all of the comments that go to that thread, so people can make up their own minds as to what's going on there. Uh, But... um, I think uh, everyone could pretty much just sort of uh, chill out because it really doesn't matter when it comes down to it. I think for some people it really does seem to matter, and I think um, that's fine. They can they can have those opinions, but um, I think uh, I would rather just say that um, I've enjoyed all of the podcasters here in Japan and what they bring to the table, and uh, I haven't yet met someone who I feel is trying to usurp or co-opt the podcasting community here and I think um, on the experiences that I've had it's been just the opposite everyone has been very open uh, very straightforward very open arms and very welcoming into this community so uh, for those people I just want to say thanks I hope to do the same as as more podcasters come into the fold here about Japan and um, also for for my friends that I've made through this podcast, I've made friends 
uh, pretty much all over the world. And that's been a lot of fun. And um, I love receiving the emails from you guys and um, even the small ones just saying, oh, I'm coming to Japan and, you know, thanks for saying all this stuff and uh, thanks for turning me on to this or that or, hey, I just like the podcast. That that means a lot to me. So thanks for uh, listening. You know, I always sort of end the, end the show saying, oh, thanks for listening. Stay tuned here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I hope you do, but if you don't, that's cool too. And I'm just glad people are getting something out of this because it's a, as much as it is a selfish, selfish project for me, because eventually what I'm going to do is collect all these episodes and archive them and then, I don't know, maybe give them to my grandkids if I ever have any, um, for them to listen to when they're my age. Um, maybe they'll get a good laugh at, uh, how, uh, I saw things or how old fashioned I was. I think that'd be kind of fun. I remember my, my grandmother had this tape recorder too. And, um, I should, I should go over there one day and try and find some of those tapes. I think, I think, uh, they're actually with my family now as well. But yeah, there was some really interesting stuff on there and I, I, I want to listen to those now. And, uh, I think that, uh, in the future, maybe someone else will want to listen to this too. So even, even if two people are listening, even if no one is listening, I'm still going to keep this up. And, um, uh, having an audience certainly keeps me motivated to do this, but, uh, not having an audience is, is just as fine with me. So I'm glad we're killing two birds with one stone here, <laughs> getting, uh, people interested in Japan and, uh, also getting, uh, sort of like some marking some time in life, I guess you could call it. So that's it. A uh, little strange episode here, a little reflective, but I hope you all enjoyed it and uh, I hope you come back again. So without any uh, further ado here, we will wrap it up. Uh, just one thing I did want to say is I do have some more material from last year that I need to get through that I will put up soon. I promise I'll do it. I'll do it. Videos, some fun audio, some stuff from school, all that. So until then, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.